Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of The Progressive Bitcoiner. I'm your host, Trey Walsh, and today we have back on the show, Margot Paez. Uh, I love chatting with Margot, all things progressive politics, the environment, uh, Bitcoin mining, and a lot of you all listening to the show will know uh, Margot and really enjoy hearing from her and her insights. Uh, she does a lot of research and work for the Bitcoin Policy Institute. She's going through her PhD thesis, focusing on Bitcoin mining now currently and doing a lot of research behind the scenes, which hopefully in the next few months, we'll be able to start seeing more of her research and papers coming out. So she's in the thick of it right now, uh, which is why I was really honored that she would come on the show and kind of take a break from some of her work to, to just chat about things in the uh, Bitcoin space right now. So we get into a lot of things focusing on politics, focusing on regulatory environment, focusing on the upcoming election, focusing on Bitcoin mining, and focusing on using Bitcoin in places where it's really, really needed and some positive messages about no matter what happens with uh, Bitcoin at a regulatory landscape or with different nations, the Bitcoin is here and the Bitcoin network continues and survives, even in places like Palestine, where we cover a geyser fund that's used to support families uh, and those that need food and basic essentials in Palestine through uh, Yusuf's fundraiser, which I will um, put the geyser fund is in the show notes for folks to check out and please support uh, Yusuf's fundraisers for Palestinian families and just supporting families that really, really need this in the face of war. Uh, so Yusuf's been able to collect Bitcoin and send out basic provisions, food uh, and clothing and different things like that um, in Palestine to these families. So you can check out that geyser fund that are in the show notes below. And that is a perfect example of uh, Bitcoin for human rights and Bitcoin doing exactly what it's designed to do, which is money separate from the state. You don't have to wait for NGOs to give, be given permission to go into places. Uh, Bitcoin is borderless. Bitcoin is being used for human rights uh, and human flourishing in these areas. So please check out uh, that fundraiser and donate any sets that you can. And we'll be posting a lot more um, about that fundraiser throughout our socials as well. So please share with your, your friends and family as well. And I was talking with Margo about this, even if your friends or family don't really know about Bitcoin or send sats or you don't, um, I would encourage you to explore how to send sats and do things like that. But you could also collect uh, cash through Venmo or, or whatever cash up from family and friends. And then you can send sats on their behalf to uh, Yusuf's fundraiser. That's also another cool way to have uh, them feel their impact uh, in this conflict and is a really good place to be able to have conversation with people about what Bitcoin is doing. Like Bitcoin isn't just number go up, Wall Street, crypto. Uh, Bitcoin is human rights and freedom money that is portalist. And that's why we're here doing what we're doing to share stories like that. So anyway, I want to thank Margo for coming on the show and having a great conversation as always and really hope you all enjoy this conversation as well. If you have any questions or any feedback for me, you can always reach out to me at hello at progressivebitcoiner.com. And as always, please feel free to check out our promo links to SAS Mining to get $50 off each and every miner that you purchase and Bitbox, my favorite Bitcoin hardware wallet to get 5% off orders there. And also new, I should mention, it's been out a few weeks at this point uh, of this show, but we have a new Substack. So uh, if you'd like, that's also in the show notes. You can subscribe to our Substack. Uh, there's a weekly newsletter that we're putting out, the TPB Weekly Digest. It sums up Bitcoin news from around the world and focuses on some stories that cover things like human rights, environment, you know, all the stuff that we love to cover in this show and sums it up nicely 
delivered right to your inbox every Friday, uh, maybe Saturday, depending uh, if you're our Australia or New Zealand listeners, uh, depending on the timing of things like that. So you'll get our episodes delivered every Tuesday to your inbox in that newsletter every Friday, and it's completely free. I uh, want you to all to, to take advantage of that, share that as well for anybody that might be interested. So check out our Substack, please. Um, all right, I will let you get to the episode now and we will see you again next week. Hey, Margo, welcome to the Progressive Bitcoiner. How are you? Thank you. I'm good, I think. I've <laughs> been really busy. I haven't had yeah. a chance to really check in with myself, but I think, yeah. I think I'm good. <laughs> well, maybe let's let's do that now. We'll do some breathing exercises to start the podcast, you know, some <laughs> one through ten. Um, why don't, why don't you tell folks what are, you know, whatever you feel comfortable sharing, what are some of the things that you've been up to? I know you've been pretty busy with research and things like that. And in in the midst of a bunch of different projects, um, but whatever you want to fill people in on, what are some of the the things that you've been kind of thinking through and and working on? I've been working on a lot, (laughs) a lot of stuff through for BPI for the Bitcoin Policy Institute where I'm a fellow and have been a fellow since January of 2022 so almost two years going wow as a fellow there it's exciting I have like three things three reports that I have in the pipeline one is this big policy report that we've been collecting data for so it's just been three months or so of working with the industry, trying to get them to share certain data with us so that we can do this study that we can include in the policy report. Because Mm -hmm. the biggest ask that we're getting from policymakers and their staffers is that they need data. They know what the talking points are, but they don't have data. So they can't really do much with that. So Mm -hmm. we're trying to provide some data for them. But it's been challenging to get data from the industry which is no surprise uh, or is not such a surprise now, the more that I've read about the challenges with data center data in general. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's, it's a lot of work, but we're making progress there. And then I have this outline for a, a policy report on using flared gas for Bitcoin mining. Mm-hmm. And I also have my response to that UN university study that came out, I think in October and yep. it's being reviewed right now. So I'm hoping to hear, get some good feedback on that. It's just really long. <laughs> it, yeah. It's at 21 pages right now and I, and I'm about 95% done with it. Mm-hmm. And there's like 7,100 plus words and there's figures. I just went, I went really deep and technical. So, yeah, we'll see how that goes, but it'll get published at some point. So looking forward to that. So that's the three things through BPI that I've been working on. And then I'm also working on the PhD thesis side, which is also on Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining. And I've been working on a paper and I also need to collect data for that and from the industry. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, you know, I started I started with like, I think anybody who who goes into P- your PhD thesis with big ideas, big grand ideas. And then, you know, my experience with collecting this data has been really informative 
uh, in the sense of the challenges. And then uh, it pushed me to look more at the data center literature because there's a lot of overlap. There are key differences, but there's a lot of overlap. And a lot of the challenges with the Bitcoin mining research are also the same challenges that are faced in data center studies. So that started to give me some good perspective on what we really needed. And so I'm working on trying to get more of that bottom-up data, which will hopefully then better inform energy models like the Cambridge you know, uh, Energy Consumption Index, mm-hmm. right? So maybe stop, you know, maybe have more bottom-up data so that it's harder for these papers like this UN University study or like the DeVries papers, maybe mm-hmm. to make it harder for those to happen. Although no guarantee because literally the data center studies literature suffers from the same problems and also spurs really bad news articles. So it's a lot of what we've seen in data centers is happening now. And I came across, and I'll just wrap this up, but I came across this study from like 2014. And literally, you could just take the word data center out and put Bitcoin mining, and it would sound very familiar. So yeah, yeah, it's amazing. It's amazing how how there's, you know, at least a decade's worth of research done and a lot of good work done on trying to improve this type of modeling. And still, with Bitcoin mining in 2023, we are still seeing really terrible studies that then get picked up in the news and are clickbait and then Mm -hmm. starts, you know, getting policymakers and environmentalists concerned and freaking out and making bad policy. So that's the big challenge. That's what I'm I'm trying to work on is just to is just to try to get a balance and get people to realize, no, it's not it's not that bad. (laughs) And also you just don't have the data. So you really have no right to make policy right now. Other than to like, you know, make policy to fund more research, I think. Right, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no, I, I that that's a lot. Um, yeah. And on behalf of like so many, thank you for doing that. Like sometimes like boring and laborious work or sometimes I'm sure on your end, I feel like you expressed it before as well. Just like, oh my gosh, like where do I begin with how inaccurate this is? But you taking the time to actually go through this because someone has to right like like people have to like this small movement of like for lack of better terms like bitcoin environmentalists like people in the space like engineers miners environmentalists um climate activists um you know chipping away at this stuff um and and i know like even i've felt this and i've only been well now it'll be about three years and a couple of months since i really jumped down the the bitcoin rabbit hole but sometimes i take a step back and i'm like okay, we've got another like five, 10 years, you know, on some of these narrative shifts and things like that. And it's like, all right, just, you know, just keep going, just keep kind of taking those steps. And, um, you know, it's that balance of being data focused and research focused. So you don't sound too much like a greenwasher or evangelist. And, you know, cause, and I was talking with Daniel Batten about this recently on this podcast and offline as well. Like he's so focused on data because, you know, sometimes we can, we, we might know this in the back of our head, but you, you put out kind of a, someone might put out a lazy report or a lazy rebuttal or something. And if you don't include critical data, that person is looking for, for you to fail or looking for ways that that's not accurate. So we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard than they would with these reports and papers like that. And I know that's, that's exhausting and it's not 
fair and, and all of that, but it's it's the right thing to do. And I think you and several others are are taking that approach. So thank you, because I know that's that's a lot. That, that can just be a lot. Yeah, it's a lot of work. It's called Brandolini's Law, and it's mm. uh, it's pretty accurate. I mean, I'm pretty sure I've written maybe double of what uh, that UN university paper wrote in their yeah. commentary. And I think I have I have more figures. I had in the teens the number of figures. I think they had like three or four figures. So yeah, it's 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 really hard uh, when these these ridiculous papers get published and taken seriously. It takes a lot of work to debunk them and educate people as to why they should be debunked and should not be taken seriously. One other question I want to ask you too, and um, I mean. A lot of people will already know who you are that are that are listening to this podcast and will include like show notes and, and all that stuff. So I won't make you do like a boring intro or anything. Um, and folks can listen back to our other episode from this this summer. Um, but in terms of where you find yourself, the the work you're doing, the research, do you find do you feel like internally, personally, you're finding more of a home in this being your I hate the word, but maybe like calling and things like that. I know you've been doing this for a while, right? But I mean, you've you've told your personal story before on so many different uh, avenues of just your own thesis experience previously and different educational journeys and, you know, even starting out with like Occupy movements and just all of these different conflating factors. Where do you find yourself today thinking about Bitcoin, Bitcoin mining, you know, your experience being a Progressive person from the left, environmentalist, all of these things. You know how you feel today with with what you're doing. Yeah, I mean, for one thing, I'm overall a lot happier than I was even at the start of this year. I mean, really, a year yeah, ago. That's awesome to hear. I mean, yeah. a year ago, I was about ready, and I don't think people really know this, but I was really about ready to give up all of the the work that I was doing on Bitcoin to please my old advisor, and yeah. I literally told them that. And I, I went home for over the break, the winter break, and was extremely, extremely depressed. And mm. and uh, I went through my brown painting period. And, <laughs> you know, oh, wow. was, in, was in brown, was like in raw oh. umber or something. Mm. And then uh, and then thankfully, the most horrible thing happened and it completely changed my life. And yeah, I'm a lot happier every day I work on Bitcoin whether it's for my PhD research or it's for BPI. I don't make a lot of money. My student debt is piling up, but <laughs> I'm happy. I'm, I get to work on things that I care about. And I think, yeah, I think in a way, it's probably the first time where everything has aligned in that sense where the things that I care about are my main focus and my in my main source of income and I, I just think it's it's really great, and I feel really lucky that I get to do that. And and I never, I mean, if you asked me in 2011, this you know 20 something year old with a microphone that who everybody thought was in high school doing a high school journalism project, uh, if I w- would be doing this in 2023, I uh, would uh, say what? <laughs> I mean, I I know what Bitcoin is, but mean why would i do that i don't even care about money <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. down with money you know? right yeah, uh, yeah yeah you would have been like that sounds like the last thing i'd be doing yeah why money yeah, yeah. but then if you probably explained it to me they'd be like oh, okay yeah, that's cool <laughs> but at the yeah. time no there's not it was the last thing i was thinking about 
Yeah, well, I'm so happy for you. I'm so happy to hear that. And th that's a theme that comes up a lot, whether I'm talking with someone on this podcast or offline is like, you know, getting, I think getting into like Bitcoin or whatever after that, I think it can leave people with a little bit of hope, a little bit of passion that they infuse that into whatever area of their life makes sense, whether it's like doing a podcast or doing research or doing it as their job or feeling more secure with some element in their life or you know, more satisfaction of like, yeah, we're going to bring down these like Wall Street assholes or, you know, what, whatever it may be um, in so many different fronts. I think it's a whole other element to to Bitcoin and those of us that are in it. It's like, you know, the world's pretty bleak, but there, there are fewer and fewer things these days. I don't want to make it sound too bleak that that give me hope. And Bitcoin's one of them. Um, and, and I'm I'm the first person to say it's not one of those things that solves everything for sure. Um, but finding hope in something and being like, just saying what you said, like, I'm happier today than like I have been. And I can remember is, is incredible. Um, and that's what I hope for people too, that, you know, listen to these episodes, listen to people that I think are inspiring to a lot of people like yourself. I think a lot of people are inspired by you because they've heard your story before. You know, I think your episode with Peter is still so good. Like one, probably one of the first, was that the first podcast you had done? Maybe I'm not sure. It was like in this realm. One, but it was definitely okay. the biggest yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, that was foundational for me. I was like, this person from like talking about Occupy and talking about Bitcoin. And I, I had kind of been around Bitcoin and kind of connect the dots already, but doing that and then you being this like unsung hero for like research and environmentalists and Bitcoin mining and kind of spearheading a lot of that movement along with others and Troy Cross. Like the, I think people are just like, yeah, like we're gonna, we're gonna when Margo says something, we're gonna, we're gonna listen. So you have a lot of people that um, our, our, our fan, fangirling, fan guying, I don't know, uh, listening to you on this, on this podcast right now. So no pressure. Um, but I think it's great in talking with you too. I've had a few guests like this recently where in talking with you, I'm like, the conversation can go in any number of directions, but a lot of times too, I never overestimate how many folks that are truly like truly Bitcoiners truly like, and this sounds like I'm, I'm trying to like label people, but really like understand progressive left stuff and things like that, that I'm able to have a conversation with on this. Um, that still to this day, it's so difficult and it's, it's a growing niche, but it's still such a niche, like this whole like left and Bitcoin and just, we're, we're still having some of the same conversations with different folks about how that even makes sense. Um, it's better than it was, but it's a slow moving, slow turning, uh, slow evolving thing. Um, but but for you, that's definitely one of the things I wanted to to get into was, you know, we're even closer. And I know our last episode, I think, was a good refresher on, I think, a lot of probably your views and inspirations, like from the left and different thought leaders, um, regardless of like left, different thought leaders that you um, find inspiration in, what progressive is, what left is, all of that stuff that I would encourage people to listen to if they haven't. I think for this one, for me, my mind is much more on you know, we're, we're getting very close. It'll be very close once this episode comes out to 2024, a new year where I think there's going to, there's already a lot of buzz around Bitcoin, just the price action that's going to continue to grow. There's a lot more mainstream focus on Bitcoin again. Um, that's going to continue to grow. And there's this giant political election that is like the most messy and confusing thing. Like I'm 30. So I'm like, I haven't seen too many, but like, I've been like a political nerd since like high school. And just even historically thinking back, um, I have no idea 
what's going to happen or what's like going on with this. So is that, is that something you even find yourself caring about anymore? Cause so many of my progressive and left friends have just like, they've, they've tapped out or they're just like, or they're super gung ho on certain initiatives. Um, but in terms of any political candidate or political party or just the election in general, they're just like, I, I don't know. Like, I think that's a huge opportunity for us progressive Bitcoiners. But in general, it's like, I just, I don't even know what to think about it uh, coming up. Yeah. No, I think, uh, I think a lot of us feel that way. I mean, I, I think like, yeah, I've always been interested in politics and I thank my dad for that. Getting me good at early education and you know, writing, I think about the Iraq war in high school and mm. things like that. So uh, yeah. Was your dad pretty politically in, involved? I mean, you don't have to go into a whole story, but yeah, you drew inspiration from him in, in what ways? Oh, I mean, well, my dad, yeah, he's always, he was involved in the civil rights movement and mm. the anti-war war movement against the Vietnam War. So I, you know, I grew up knowing these things about him and his activism, stuff he did with students at his campus, the college where he taught. Mm-hmm. and. And then he would make me read little articles and about civilizations and and he used to talk about the cl- like a clash of civilizations, which I think is really interesting because this has has cr- started to come up, like especially with like Bush when, when W. Bush came to office and you know mm-hmm. this whole like battle of the West versus Islam and you know, yeah. Islamic terrorism. And I started seeing that creep up on the right. So I, I felt like, oh, I have a background on what, you know, this, this idea is. So it's not an, it's not mm-hmm. a new idea. And, and then, uh, yeah. And I mean, he would, he taught me about the difference between empire and nation and the importance of nation building and what that looks like. And, and I mm-hmm. thought that was, that was really foundational for me as well in my outlook. And the first protest I went to was against the Iraq war with my dad. So. Wow. You were one of the, I forget. I, so I just finished, um, I had started a while ago and then just finished it, but like turning points on Netflix, the like nine 11 documentary. I don't know if you've seen it. It's actually, I thought it was really good. It's very like mainstream accessible, but I, I thought it was fantastic. I mean, it covered, there's like five different episodes. It covered like nine 11, then talked about, um, the history of Afghanistan from the 70s and Soviet support on yeah. through, talked about the Iraq war, talked about so many things. Um, and I just think it did a really good job of people watching that and just showing clips of leaders lying, but mm-hmm. compiling it, uh, lying over years, but compiling it into like 20 minutes of one episode oh, was great. pretty like, wow, um, for, for everyone. And, and mo- you know, most Americans, most people are I would say, you know, on the same page with this at this point, like it was, we shouldn't have done it. We, you know, all of this, but at the time you and your father would have been one of the few, um, outspoken Americans. Maybe, I don't, I don't want to say the exact amount, but it was probably like definitely no more than 20%, maybe 10%, uh, depending on the year, but definitely early on. Yeah. Very much the vast, vast majority of oh, Americans were like, let's go burn the rest of the world down if we need to. I remember, I remember it was really bad to be against the war and I didn't, mm-hmm. I knew very few people who were against it early on in the early, early year, like first year mm-hmm. or a couple of years or so. And like I had teachers and who were like, no, we got to do this. Got to go get Osama. And I'm like, no, this is terrible. This is a mistake. Mm-hmm. So 
yeah, so I, I saw that I don't, it's hard to forget that that was really transformative, I think, for myself at that age, just starting to really understand the world and mm-hmm. the politics and and how politicians behaved. And, and mm-hmm. I think it's been a, a really interesting trajectory or just progression for me to see, you know, how how some politicians come into favor and then out of favor. Because I remember at that age thinking Nancy Pelosi was really great because she opposed the Iraq war Mm. and remembering all the different politicians in the Democratic Party who were opposed to the war. And it's around that time that I first heard about Bernie Sanders because he was one Mm. of the few early on who opposed the war. And and then later on, you know, you, you start seeing there are other positions and you're like, oh, <laughs> this person's terrible, yeah. you know, and then you realize, oh, they just take a political stance in this way because they want to be in opposition to the opposing party, the Republican Party. And it's not that they actually care. It's just that they want votes. And so that that to me has was really enlightening and also, you know, made me, I suppose, more cynical about. Yeah the way our political system works and and yeah so it's yeah it was a my dad gave me a really great foundation for my political views so I really can't say that I came across these ideas all on my own I mean he gave me a foundation and then I built on it but mm-hmm. other people I don't know they one way or another they end up in this worldview but I inherited it from my dad. (laughs) Hi, everyone. Hope you're enjoying the episode. Today's episode is brought to you by Bitbox. Now, Bitbox is a hardware wallet that's open source, incredibly secure and easy to use. And it's what I'm using to safely secure my Bitcoin in cold storage. Now, I know self-custodying Bitcoin can really be intimidating, but Bitbox is designed for ease of use without compromising on security. It's USB-C compatible and allows you to easily back up and restore your private keys with a micro SD card, which is really cool. Now you can purchase the BitBox using the promo code TPB at the link found in the show notes for 5% off your purchase. And I really want to thank BitBox for their support of the podcast. And I'm really excited about this new partnership. All right, I'll let you get back to the episode now. Do you, when you think about like elections and stuff, and I've, when I talk with certain people, like even now I have in the back of my head, okay, do we need to focus on one topic or Bitcoin or this and that? I'm, I'm just talking with you. Um, like for this upcoming uh, election, do you, because the Democrats have said this constantly about Donald Trump, but it's constantly been said in other elections as well, that it's in a fight for our democracy, a fight for democracy, like all is lost, like this and that, like, how do you, how do you view that sort of rhetoric going into an election like this? Um, is there anything that you feel about this pivotal moment in history, like going into elections like this and not necessarily Donald Trump, just like where we're at in history. You know, we'll talk about some of the global things going on, just, uh, just everything that's happening in around the world. Um, going into, unfortunately the U S is a very important country and kind of like has a lot of say in world affairs, uh, regardless whether that's good or bad. So these elections matter in that extent. Um, so how do you, how do you view this going into this year? Do you feel like this is a monumental moment? Do you think it is not much will change regardless? Like how do you view some of these things? Yeah, this has been hard because I feel like there's really a generational divide in terms of concerns around what matters in this election. Mm. 
or even in the 2020 election. And yeah. I see my older friends who are, um, they're like Gen X, but you know, mm. closer, you know, on the closer yeah. towards the boomer side of Gen X, yeah. I think. And, you know, that like they're really all they care about is Trump's going to destroy democracy and uh, you got to stop that. And I feel really disconnected from that. For me, that I I feel like, well, democracy already doesn't work. And I think either party has an authoritarian strain to it. It's not just like your classic fascism. You know, I, I think that the Democrats are also not particularly in favor of democracy either to a certain degree. So yeah. I don't I don't know. I mean is it a battle for democracy? I mean, you know, it's not all in the executive branch, for one thing. Mm-hmm. There's there's a lot of democracy that has already been lost. And I don't know that reelecting Joe Biden is going to get that back, you know, yeah. uh, for people. I I also I see Biden's behavior and political choices on the global stage as being not necessarily much better than Donald Trump. Uh, mm. You know, Biden didn't. I think Kamala Harris maybe went to COP twenty eight. Biden didn't go, and uh, yeah. you know, I mean, okay, so we're back in the Paris Climate Accord, but. You know, even your know, 1.5 C is dead and that the rate we're going to C is dead as well. So right. what hope is there? Uh, and Trump being in office, well, would that really change that trajectory? I don't, I don't think so. I think that the, neither of them are going to do it. I mean, I, I you know I really struggle with this because I really don't want to vote for Joe Biden. And I think the Democratic Party has basically taken away our democratic right to decide who should be nominated. So mm-hmm. it's hard for me to feel like this is a democratic party, like a small D democratic party. There's no yeah. there will be no primary debates. There's been these Republican primary debates going on all this time and not a single one because the DNC decided that Joe Biden couldn't handle the heat. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so we have been denied an opportunity to decide whether he should run again. And I think most young people don't want to see him run again. And I think he's yeah. too old. So no, there's, it's really hard to feel like, oh, feel that, you know, like really passionate about this idea that this mm-hmm. is it you know, democracy will be lost now or never. I mean, they said sort of the same thing last time. And they also claimed they were going to do all this stuff with COVID and, you know, that they completely abandoned that and they were going to do all this stuff with climate and they completely abandoned that. And instead, you know, I was just reading an article that said that oil prices might crash next year because U.S. production is so high right now. Mm-hmm. And that it's too, you know, there's too much, basically too much supply compared to what OPEC was prepared for in setting prices. So, you know, are we really serious about 
about climate change, about reducing our emissions. I mean, I don't, I don't see that that's happening uh, under Joe yeah. Biden. And, you know, the guy barely even talks about climate change. So yeah, this right, is right. a really long answer. It's just to say, you know, the short answer is, is difficult. I don't know. I'm not happy. Either way, I feel like we're constantly being abused by our politicians. And sometimes I think maybe, you know, maybe we, we have to just say no and deal with the consequences to get the message across that they have to stop abusing us mm -hmm. in this way, abusing their voters by them basically holding us hostage and saying, if you don't vote for me, I'm going to destroy the republic which is, I think, is what is happening. You know, Democratic Party is holding us hostage, saying we have to vote for this corporate Democrat who, you know, who's a neoliberal. Who might not make it to the might not election. make it through. Like, literally. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then we're going to have Kamala Harris. Like, God, that sounds awful. The person who got like less two, popular than Hillary Clinton. Yeah, yeah like 2% um, of the vote during the primaries. Yeah. That's not representative. So yeah, no, not, I don't, yeah. I don't feel like playing that game anymore. So I guess that's where I stand. <laughs> I don't want to play the game yeah. anymore. No. And the, and the reason I asked you too, it, it really wasn't a leading question. I was just curious. I think there's so many like listeners that will start trickling into the pod and have already that are like, cause yes, you know, I, I like Bitcoin. It's progressive Bitcoiner. It's, it's like a, you know, a Bitcoin focused podcast. But a lot of the reason I got into Bitcoin because I was a disenfranchised, just uh, that's the wrong term, just just frustrated uh, progressive that didn't know where to turn. And I'm just like, nothing is like working. And then I feel that even more so now with 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 Joe Biden and kind of seeing this this through really post Bernie. I was feeling that and I've talked about that a lot. Um, Logan and I, who have an episode coming out, talked about that because Logan wrote a great episode. Uh, article about um yeah. from bernie to bitcoin yeah so a lot of the progressives that are in bitcoin we are previous like bernie bros or, or whatever Definitely um, so for me <laughs> yeah so so you know for me like bitcoin was like okay i can maybe start finding some solutions because that definitely is 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 dead you know that that kind of political movement um movements of people are always possible like that that's where i find hope it is always like you know, where there's a will, there's a way with people always. But in terms of political parties, uh, individuals, you mentioned like Nancy Pelosi and others, right? It's kind of like, yeah, unfortunately, I agree 100% with you. It was in opposition to the leading party. Well, the Democrats have been the leading party for, for a while now in, in so many ways. And uh, absolute power corrupts. Absolutely. And, and it's hard not to see that um, true today. So I think there's a lot of people that will be listening that are um, looking for different I don't want to say looking for answers because this podcast, I don't think is like for answers. I think it's to ask more questions and to try to find solutions and to be creative about that. And that's one way Bitcoin does that. But even aside from that, a lot of Bitcoiners and people like yourself are asking these important questions and, and kind of involved in things that hopefully really will make a difference in the world. Because I, I think that's probably why we're here is like, we want to make a difference in the world. That's why we're we're doing this. It's not for anything else. Like I'm not going to, there's other like finance podcasts that'll talk about Bitcoin differently. There's other like, you know, it's like we we want to make a difference in the world. And, and that's why we're here doing this. Yeah, absolutely. I think coming to Bitcoin is really, really happens at a point where you realize that mainstream politics don't work and you have to find another way to make a difference in the world. And 
the only other way to do it is really at the grassroots level through direct action. And Bitcoin mm-hmm. is a form of direct action. And, yeah. and you are, by holding Bitcoin, by running a node, you know, by buying things with Bitcoin, you're, you're doing a political act. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it really is because you're, you decided to do something that was outside of the existing financial system to a certain degree, and you did it consciously. So that's, that's a political choice that, that you've made. And you've done it probably because you find it appealing that there's nobody stopping you from doing it. There's nobody that mm-hmm. can stop you from sending Bitcoin or receiving Bitcoin. And I think that's really powerful at a time where I think a lot of people feel powerless. You do have a powerful option in Bitcoin. And so I I think also that, you know, that's where the hope comes from. And I think also where where the kind of cult aspect comes into, because Mm -hmm. it's really different. It's different from what our normal day to day life is, where there's all sorts of rules and barriers and hoops that you have to jump through and you don't really have to do that with bitcoin so i think suddenly you see a lot of opportunities and a lot of possibilities that you didn't see before through bitcoin because of that and and that that ability to not have to ask permission i think is is really powerful and does make you think about the world in a different way you know why do we have to ask permission to do certain things why you know, why is there so much surveillance? What, you know, you know, when then we start talking about CBDCs and that, that, that goes down a whole other path too of government yeah. control and authoritarianism. And I think a lot of Bitcoiners are worried about that. And if you can't stop it from happening, then what are the tools that you need to protect yourself in a scenario mm-hmm. like that? And Bitcoin is going to be really important because even though you know, on the left, we don't really like to talk about money or, you know, finance too much. Wealth. Wealth. Like, well, that's all kind of like things that we don't really talk about because it seems capitalistic. But the reality is we live in a capitalist society or something like it. If, you know, if you're like Giannis Varoufakis, then uh, it's not even capitalism anymore. We're in this like uh, techno feudalism. Mm-hmm. So if you live in a, you know, in a techno feudalistic society, well, then that kind of means that you have ownership of nothing. You will have nothing and be happy. Right. So what's one way to stop that? Own Bitcoin. Right. So, mm-hmm. yeah, you do have to think in financial terms. You can still hold on to everything else that you believe in, mutual aid, direct action, things like that, sharing, community, mm-hmm. gifting, gift economy, whatever, you know, I think all of that can coexist understanding the scenarios that we face. Yeah. So yeah, I don't I don't even know why I'm what I'm talking about anymore. <laughs> no, you said so, you said so much for me to to think about. I mean, the word that kept bringing out to me too is like, I think I get so in my head because there's so many different language models and, and so many things I'm trying to fit through. Like when I talk, like whether it's through this podcast or other avenues, I'm like, okay, progressives are usually triggered by X. Okay, 
Bitcoiners, not X the platform, just they're triggered by this thing. Yeah. You know, Bitcoiners will be triggered by this. This part, like you can't be all things to everyone. I, I Just me and the silly example is like a pod host or just when you're talking with friends or family. I think just like owning yourself and also owning when you're using Bitcoin, it is countercultural. Like I'll give little exa- a little example. Like, so um, the recent episode with Daniel Baden that I did, like on YouTube, it's the first one. It didn't really issue like a trigger warning, but it's the first one that uh, mentioned climate change under. Uh, oh, so if yeah, you go on the YouTube yeah. video, it says climate change and it gives a definition of climate change. Yeah. And I'm thinking back and I'm like, we didn't, we're actually like talking about climate change, but it's just the fact that we're talking about Bitcoin mining and climate change. Like that is like, I'm so steeped in that world with, with you all. And I know that it's different from what people think, but when I'm even talking with family or friends about it, and I found some like different ways to talk about it to where they're like, oh, uh, interesting. Like, I, I didn't know that. Like, I found ways to talk about it where it's not just like repulsive, but in general, like literally our main, you know, YouTube, mainstream media, governments, the world, it's, it's definitely evolving in a positive way. But it, this is deeply countercultural to talk about Bitcoin mining in the environment. It's deeply countercultural to use Bitcoin as a payment rails. Like it's you know, it's, it's, I will, I will stand by and say it is very legal and constitutional. Like I'm definitely one of those people that's like, no, I will stand by this out in the open and say, this is your right. And as an American, or this is your right. in, in many nations around the world, um, you know, I'm not going to steep down and say, okay, you need to do this in a cave in privacy. Like, no, I will say like loudly, this is, this is your right and privilege and, and we'll fight for that, but it's deeply countercultural. And I think people should own that. Um, and, and know that coming into Bitcoin, if we're fully going to utilize it and not be afraid to to say that, because it is, I, I think, for good. Yeah, absolutely. It's very countercultural. It's exciting, exciting to be at this stage. When I was younger, I wanted to be in the late 70s in Silicon Valley, you know, mm. attending computer clubs and building the first personal computers at that time. And I was not alive then, so I missed that. <laughs> missed it, yeah. <laughs> and this is my my chance to experience that wonderful early stage of a new technology that is that is revolutionary. So yeah, yeah it's it's cool. Cool. Yeah, I, I'm very. I, I just I'm very curious to see the timeline on all of this. Um, obviously, Bitcoin's still really, really new and early. Um, I think it's going to take an incredibly long time as well for something like this. If it's to be like global permissionless money, like these type of things take a lot of time, but it will be very interesting to see. And I think if I'm being honest, the one thing that does worry me a little bit, and I think, you know, speaking of, uh, political landscape regulatory, the one thing I think is clear to me is there are many, many people like the U S and everything it does for me personally is, is very deceptive. It's very like, whether it's like, inflation they're like it's not as bad or whether it's like wars well it's not really a war it's like we're we're funding this and that and we're you know they just kind of shady on a lot of different things they're very good about it they're very good at that they're very good at kicking the can down the road like these huge deficits we have or these huge global conflicts they're really good about being like but we're the united states it's going to be fine like it's always fine it's going to be fine whatever and i'm not a doomsdayer here to say the world's going to end tomorrow anything like that um but what I think will be interesting with Bitcoin, I think we're in that next phase of regulatory landscape, Bitcoin ETFs. I think a lot of people will buy into this 
regulatory notion of, well, you know, I'm not going to use Bitcoin. I'm going to have this like Bitcoin ETF and it's still good for my retirement. Part of me is like, hey, that's good. If, if a worker gets to benefit from price action and they have more retirement for their family, great. Like, who am I to say, no, screw that. You need to have like, you know, your Raspberry Pi going right now and be mining in your home, right? I think there's different ways to talk about it. But I think some politicians or regulators are like, yes, this is great. This is exactly how we want 99% of the world to interact with Bitcoin is through a regulated paper ETF, which is incredibly risky, um, just in the face of like, look what happened in 2008, great financial crisis. Have we not learned anything? Um, you know, trusting others, it's the complete antithesis to what Bitcoin is. I'm a bit worried that people are just like, oh, cool. Yeah, I have BT or Bitcoin in the, the ETF and regulators are like, okay, so I don't see a direct, like we're banning Bitcoin, you know, happening in the United States at this point. I see it as we're going to package these different regulatory ETFs and things like that. And that's the way we're going to keep tabs on how people can use it or different, you know, laws that are coming through and, and things like that. Um, is that something you think about or you see as, oh, that's really terrible. That's really, it is what it is. How do you think about those things? Yeah. Constant conflict over that too. <laughs> Just, mm -hmm. no, I am not a fan of enriching the wealthiest corporations yeah. in the world that really have, you know, have the federal reserve chairman or chairperson on their speed dial, you know, mm -hmm. these are people, Larry Fink is, is a highly influential person. He mm -hmm. literally has the most important people in government on speed dial. And, yeah. and he's, and he knows it and he flaunts it. It's not a secret. Yeah. So yeah, I'm not really interested in, in further enriching the oligarchs or the plutocracy mm -hmm. or whatever and that so that that does bother me on the other hand you can't stop anyone from using bitcoin or using it in however way they want it's an open protocol it's an open network anyone can participate so kind of have to watch and see how that plays out and yeah. my hope is that People who need Bitcoin will use Bitcoin, and maybe that's the most important thing to keep in mind. You know, if they were to really regulate Bitcoin and say, well, only these miners, these types of mining will be, you know, valid, and only these types of transactions will be valid, and only maybe this kind of software will be valid on nodes. I mean, ultimately, you've just forked Bitcoin, created a new Bitcoin. Is that really Bitcoin? Which one is the valid Bitcoin? So, mm -hmm. you know, these are the kind of thoughts that, that I try to go through in my head. What yeah. does that mean in the long term for Bitcoin? And I think ultimately, so long as there is a network that is being secured, whether it's being secured in the U.S. or not, is irrelevant. Mm -hmm. You know, the U.S. could ban Bitcoin mining tomorrow and it wouldn't matter. The yeah. U.S. could ban Bitcoin, you know, self-custody tomorrow and it wouldn't matter. Mm. And I think that's really important. The network still goes on. The only way in which it does matter is if you worry about 
you know, adding to emissions. But even then, Bitcoin energy footprint is, you know, fairly inconsequential in the long term, I think, in the long term trajectory. So, you know, it's not that important. I think the most important thing is that Bitcoin continues to live and that people who need it will find ways to use it in the same way that torrents still exist and Usenet still exists. You can still Mm -hmm. download books for free. You can download software for free. You can download movies, music, whatever. You can find it for free on these distributed peer-to-peer networks. And there's nothing the government can do to stop it other than for companies like Netflix and Disney and, and Paramount and so on, for them to provide high quality services that make people feel like they'd rather pay for it than go and download it, you know? Mm-hmm. So there has to be this like competitive alternative that people would rather have, but that doesn't stop Bitcoin from existing. So when I think through that kind of process, it I feel a little less triggered and think it's okay mm-hmm. because, you know, the I think where we can get triggered is the question of what is hyper-Bitcoinization? What does that look like? And is that necessary for Bitcoin success? And, you know, I think that it's okay that Bitcoin, if Bitcoin never becomes the standard in a way, if it's still just there and it still exists and people who need it can use it, that's then I'm I'm still happy with that outcome. So, but, you know, it's still really early. We're, like you were saying, right? You think about like, oh, this still take will be like another five or seven years. But but I'm thinking like, you know, the issuance of Bitcoin, the final little bit. 2140, 2140 I think. 2140, yeah. Like I mean, yeah. I was just telling my, I was just telling my PhD crazy. advisor about this. And, you know, I was giving him a little, he, he said he was at a cocktail party. Yeah, give, give me, give me a, a little lowdown on that. Yeah. Like how, 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 how is that? interaction because that's obviously got to be like you know point number one for you is like uh, how's this gonna be compared to last time well i'm an extraordinarily traumatized phd student yeah (laughs) who unfortunately had to start over in certain ways but uh, i mean my new advisor is amazing i am not convinced that He's real because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> he's been so he be. <laughs> he's been so kind to me mm-hmm. and really generous and compassionate and patient. And I am not used to that. I'm used to you know being beaten by it with a stick and you know yeah yeah you know stay in there in that room and right, like, right. You know, I mean not literally like that, but you know psychologically like that. Yeah. And and yeah, I mean I experienced some really horrible stuff. So. Yeah, but he's amazing and he is open to the Bitcoin stuff. And was at a, apparently he was at a cocktail party and some kind of inebriated guy wandered over to him and started talking to him about the white paper. Mm. <laughs> and then the guy was like, no, this is this is beautiful. It's like the most beautiful thing that I've ever read. <laughs> was it Satoshi? Was it? Was it Satoshi? It wasn't Satoshi, uh, but I mean, he was talking about the white paper. And my advisor said, okay, maybe, you know, I really didn't want to you know, hear this for 30 minutes, but I thought maybe it would be helpful for me to help Margot <laughs> with her research. Yeah. So, I mean, that was, that was really sweet and unexpected. Yeah. 
that he's actually, you know, trying to understand it on his own mm-hmm. a little. And yeah, he thinks it's cool. So yeah, it's exciting to be able to work with somebody who is not telling me this is bad. We can't do this here and yeah. all sorts of other stuff. So it's, I'm trying to adjust, but also not take his kindness and generosity for granted either. That's good. Yeah. We're entering this interesting phase of like some, you know, academics and researchers being, you would know this better than I would, but uh, being more open to it or actually being the first ones in a room to talk about it. Sometimes I think that's an interesting shift we've seen with some, some research or some actual papers that people could, you know, people like you or Troy or others can actually point to and be like, Oh no, that's legit. Like that's a legit, like, you know, research group or, or paper or, or source rather than, um, you know, no offense to them. They're great, but like Bitcoin magazine or, or something like that. Right. Being like, okay, we can't really cite, cite this for some of this research. Yeah. Um, we've seen that more and more, which is very exciting. Uh, oh, then, yeah, we've gotten a lot of papers out in this last year from Texas A&M from their research group. And they actually yeah. now they form like a blockchain energy group, re, like legitimate oh, cool. research okay. group. And yeah, I was at the North American Blockchain Summit mm-hmm. uh, just before Thanksgiving. It was in Fort Worth, Texas. And there was a professor from Texas A&M there giving a talk and he did a workshop and he was talking about he was working more on the electrical engineering side mm-hmm. with the with the mining machines and, and there's this voltage issue that is not a result of bitcoin but it, it i guess it's something to do with how the electrical grid is set up and so he's been doing research on that so that i thought that was really cool having an actual professor who's doing this research come to a bitcoin conference and talk about the research and be on panels and yeah it's a big step forward it's really cool to see that engagement and and then we got another really cool paper that is not it's in the preprint phase so it's already been peer-reviewed but there's like Mm -hmm. still like language or style editing that has to get done before it's officially published but that paper was really fantastic because it just went through all of the energy research literature and just destroyed all of it, <laughs> yeah. pretty almost, especially Alex DeVries's work. Yeah. And it's just so excellent. And then the nice thing is that these guys gave a best practices as well. So now we have two papers that give best practices for doing this kind of research, which mm-hmm. really highlights the fact that there shouldn't, there's no excuse going forward for bad research because. Yeah. If you're serious about this work, then you should have read those papers and they would have stopped you yeah. from, you know, publishing another DeVries style paper. So, yeah. you know, hopefully I'm hoping that we'll see more of that it would be great. And then, of course, there's the Cornell paper that just came out as well. So, yeah. yeah, I mean, that Cornell paper really has gone a long way, I think, because it has that stamp of an Ivy League on there too. And that gets a lot mm-hmm. of attention. You can't pretend that credentials and labels and institutions like that don't go far in this kind matter. of society. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's pretty impressive to see see that slow turnaround start to happen. And I also yeah. think, Trey, that 
That's also why we're seeing a slightly different angle of attack now, which is this environmental footprint or water footprint, because mm-hmm. I think we did a really good job on the carbon side. Yeah. And that was That's the interesting most, take. That was yeah. the most potent attack on the network, yeah. which was on the emission side. And you know, it's not over. This battle isn't over, but I mm-hmm. or the war isn't over, but we did win. We made some big gains on yeah. that. And the water side, you know, that's not as strong, I think, and and uh, easier to refute, you know, in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, so I think that's why we're seeing that. They need a new tactic, I guess, you know, for cynical and <laughs> conspiratorial, mm-hmm. they need a new tactic to take out Bitcoin on the, on the yeah. environmental side. So, I mean, pretty soon it'll come down to like, well, Margot, you, you like Bitcoin, so you're going to be biased. You know, I, it's going to come down to like, you know, because some some I feel like some researchers and me not being in the academic world, but just, you know, some researchers try to pretend they have a veil of ignorance and they're like, well, I don't have this asset or I don't, you know, believe in this. I'm, I have to articulate it from an opposing view. And that that's the only credible way to approach it. So I feel like it'll just at some point just they're going to just run out of uh, of arguments. Right. Um, but like you said, like the, these very like Cornell others, like we're not greenwashing at this point. Like there are some articles written about Bitcoin that, you know, you kind of read it and say, that sounds kind of greenwashy or they didn't give specific details or, or, or this and that, but it's like, no, you have, you have researchers combing through data and the data is getting better month after month that are actually doing legit research and science on this. Um, and also giving ways for us to focus on how it can actually improve. So I think that's important too. Not just like, oh, Bitcoin's like hundred percent amazing all the time in every regard. Also posing different um, thoughts, but getting through the misinformation first, I think is is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I remember saying this over a year ago, I guess now going on two years ago, and people would ask me, well, where's the evidence? Where's the proof that this is happening? Mm-hmm. I said, well, did, we don't have the data yet. Give it two years, give it two or three yep. years. And we're starting to get into that. And I think that's also why we're seeing the shifts because we are starting to see more companies crop up. And in those days, you know, it was still like, yeah, they're coming online. They're trying to sign the deals. And I'm, I yeah. know I've been told, but they're not publicized. Yeah. I mean, yet. most of it was most of the hashing was in China. So it was really difficult yeah. to get a lot of the data before 2018, 2019 in any real ways. Yeah, I mean, it's still hard, but the thing is, is that now that so much of the hash rate has moved to the U.S., where we have stronger, Mm -hmm. albeit insufficient, climate policies and goals and a motivation to move in that direction, I I think that it makes it a lot easier for this narrative to come about because Mm -hmm. we just, you know, the companies are American companies, so the narrative is easier to pick up on and, and disseminate. And if it were, you know, if all this were happening in Russia, I don't think we would have as easy of a time pushing that narrative because we'd be in a state that's not very popular on the geopolitical front in in the language that most people don't speak. And yeah, so it was fortuitous that China banned Bitcoin. So really everything... That happens to Bitcoin is good for Bitcoin. I think. Yeah, it goes back to what you were saying. You're I like, think it's if good. the U.S. bans Bitcoin, <laughs> whatever that means or looks like, yeah, the network goes on, and I I feel like I constantly need to hear that. 
um, I'm so steeped in political angles of it, regulatory, because I, I think it's because I want the average everyday person uh, in, in the US. Um, globally, I think it's happening. So I'm like, yes, let's ride that wave. And I think I need to echo that more. Um, just even saying that now, it's because I think that's already winning in so many ways. It's more like the average everyday American, um, like lower income America. I want people to have as as easy of an access to to holding their own Bitcoin private keys and running their own nodes and these things. So I focus on like, you know, the regulatory stuff and thinking like, no, screw that. Like I, I want, you know, Americans who can really utilize this to to use it, not just, um, you know, in an ETF or not just they have to have a Coinbase account or whatever it could look like in some dream scenario. Um, I, I hope that doesn't doesn't happen, but you're right. The network's going to keep moving on. Um, I mean, it, it, it's a good metaphor, I think, a good enough. But it's like banning the internet. We already went through that. We already tried that. It doesn't it doesn't work. Um, those other services you were talking about, those things still exist. Like yeah. it is it is here? Um, exactly, <laughs> it's here, yeah. and that's yeah. what I'm. That's yeah. That's actually that's the message I'm hearing. And I think, you know, like change the code, everybody or most people listening are probably familiar with Green Pieces Change the Code and the story mm -hmm. around that. Chris Larson, CEO of Ripple, gave Greenpeace $5 million to run this campaign to try to get yep. Bitcoin to go proof of stake, which is mm -hmm. there's already a Bitcoin proof of stake fork yeah. out there. So if you want to use you. it, yeah. feel free, Greenpeace. <laughs> but right, right. You know, they realize that they've run this campaign for a year and it's a failure. So, yeah, I think they're starting to also understand that Bitcoin is here to stay, which is what I've been saying. It's like, it's here to stay. So you really just need to figure out what can you do to make sure that Bitcoin does good things in the world and not bad things in the world. Yep. And, and so I'm hoping that that is the path that they take going forward in 2024. Is that they start, you know, really seriously thinking like, how can I be part of the solution, and mm -hmm. and how can Bitcoin be part of the solution since it's not going to disappear anytime soon? They can't yeah. stop it. I think they have to. They're starting to realize finally, Bitcoin is not going to die. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, it's just it's just not how it's going to be. So, yeah, uh, it's. It's good to see it's good to see that shift, but also also scary at the same time. <laughs> I'm like used yeah. to being on the opposition side, you know, on the defense. You know, there's been interesting conversations I've had with different people, um with 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 many different folks. I mean, I think I'm able to connect with some people too, a lot of times offline from some of these groups and things we're talking about because I have a background in nonprofits, because I focus on so many different things that I'm like, that's why I'm in Bitcoin, guys. Like, it wasn't the other way around. Um, but yeah, I've noticed that shift and I'm glad you brought it up. I was going to say it explicitly. It's like, yeah, change the code. Um, I don't want to, I don't want to say it's, it's a good thing. Like, I'm going to be like, whenever you get here, you get here and that's great. Like, I don't want to, I don't want to beat up on someone, you know, after the fact, unless they're really just um, malintent, not in good faith, like whatever. But there's some people that'll, and I'm not going to look back and say, oh, your tweets two years ago were saying the opposite. Like, you know, what, whatever. Um, but yeah, it was change the code. And now you're seeing much more. And it's been this way for a while, but clean up Bitcoin. And I think um, now many in the clean up Bitcoin 
camp and movement are still kind of would like to see proof of stake, right? I, I don't want to say that they're all Bitcoiners now, but I think just that language shift, um, and then they're not all the same folks. I don't want to say like change the code became that it, it's kind of been kind of simultaneous, but you know, clean up Bitcoin just objectively. I'm like, we can work with that. I can work with that in terms of like, we actually are like, I will be the first to say there are some mining corporations, Bitcoin miners that I think are doing things pretty good, uh, environmentally conscious and some that are not as good as others. They're not all equal, but that doesn't demonize, that doesn't mean demonize a whole industry. That doesn't mean we need to get rid of and ban Bitcoin or it's useless, right? Those are two very different extremes. So if you're talking with someone and they're like, well, we need to clean up Bitcoin or we need to focus on more environmental stuff. That's where you can start pointing to data. That's where you can point saying, well, a lot of that work is already being done. And this is how we perceive it will continue to grow in that direction. That's where you can work with someone. If someone's saying, you know, change the code and then you look at who's funding that initiative and all these other things, I think there's the two very different things. So I think that's been a really welcome shift as well. Um, and, you know, I'm going to assume in some regards it's, it's good faith. And sometimes it's not, but you know, when I hear clean up Bitcoin, I'm like, let's have a conversation. If I hear change the code, ban Bitcoin, Bitcoin shouldn't exist. Well, that's tougher to have a conversation. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's a different, the language matters. Certain languages way more confrontational than other clean up Bitcoin still pisses me off. Anyway. Yeah, it's still like, I, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. I get it's what not, you're saying, I, but I still yeah. am like, what do you mean clean up? What are you going to clean up? Like, yeah. What do you think? Yeah, my, one of my first thoughts too is like clean up Doesn't, every other industry on the planet <laughs> compared to Bitcoin. Like, you know, then you I mean, that. Yeah, I, of course. I agree with you. There are certain, <clears throat> certain mining companies that I am constantly raising an eyebrow at, but I think that there are also but what impresses me is that I'm, I also consistently run into people who are trying to do good things and who are concerned about their environmental impact, their climate impact, you know, they mm -hmm. understand that aspect of it. And, and, and so it's good to keep in mind that the industry is not monolith in terms of opinion on, on the issue. And uh, yeah, in the past for a variety of reasons, uh, People have taken up Bitcoin mining and used it in locations where they shouldn't have, and they're mm -hmm. all, and and that's some something we have to acknowledge and have to think about. Well, why did that happen? And will that happen again? And if there is a scenario in which that's possible, you know, what can be done in those states to prevent that from happening again? And I think it's yeah. the right of the people in these places to decide whether Bitcoin mining should happen or not. I, I think this mm -hmm. is a kind of a contrary opinion to some other people in space, but I do think that they have a right at the local level to say, no, we really don't want a mining facility next to our church. You know, yeah. why, why isn't that their right? Why? Because you, you, you lease the land. Therefore you think that you own, you, you know, you have whatever, you know, you can do whatever you want. You, yeah. you know, I don't think so. I don't think that that's how society should operate. But I guess maybe that's like a very anarcho-capitalist viewpoint. But, you know, from 
a left anarchist perspective, it's not okay. It's not okay. Yeah. The, the, the society, the people in that community have a right to decide whether you should be allowed to do that. And I think that that is, that is their right. And they should, if they don't want it, then you shouldn't be there. And yeah. I don't want to see legislation passed that hampers their ability to pass a, a sound ordinance, you know? Yeah. I'm I'm really sensitive to noise. I move I, I'm paying a lot more money in rent just to live in a quieter part of the city mm. because I have a really hard time with noise from the streets. Mm. You know, street noise. And so I can completely sympathize with people who are complaining about noise nearby because yeah, those machines are loud, I'm sure, yeah. you know. Yeah. At a distance you can still hear those fans and that if you move to a rural area, noise is the last thing you want in that in in your town, yeah. because you moved out of the city for a reason. So, people, I think miners should respect that and not put up a fight. and And I I think they really should do due diligence before they set up. It, you know, electricity shouldn't mm -hmm. be the only electricity cost shouldn't be the only factor. I mean, they should really be thinking about. What is my impact on the local community? Because that having a negative impact on the community leads to these news articles and then mm -hmm. gets used at the higher level. And Elizabeth Warren is running around, you know, other yeah. news. And then we're talking about the <laughs> yeah. wrong things. Because what you're talking about, and, and I agree, is, you know, corporations. It's not about like Bitcoin. So then people will turn it into a, Bitcoin environment, Bitcoin, this, it's like, no, it's kind of a, a, a corporation just like any other deciding something. That's more of a capitalist structure, corporations and communities conversation. It just happens to be a, a Bitcoin miner, but you know, you can insert any corporation XYZ into that same factor. It's the same type thing. So you're right. I think for better or for worse, Bitcoiners, Bitcoin companies have to be super aware because we're the new guys in town that have a bad reputation, you have to take that into extra consideration. And yes, you should do the right thing anyway, but even more so on top of that is because there's extra scrutiny on the industry, on Bitcoin, on these other things that folks have to really be aware of rather than just saying, you know, this is America, damn it, I can do what I want or, or whatever um, the, the case is with these, some of these, these companies. Because it's like corporate civic ism or something i don't know there's some corporate stewardism there's some phrase mm. around that means corporations you know being part yeah. of the community and doing good things for the community and I, yeah. I i i'm seeing too many of these smaller bitcoin miners that are not mm -hmm. doing not playing a positive role in the community where they're setting up there's just there's yeah. just too many articles that come up with a noise complaint I don't, mm. I, I don't think that we should be seeing that many. It also says that fans, fans are still really populate, popular in these yeah, yeah, facilities yeah. and they're not using immersion cooling. So, right. yeah. Yes. Yeah. I think there's a lot of work to be done and a lot of education to be, to be done in that area. And I'm concerned that I'm hearing that certain legislation that was passed in the last year is actually hampering people at the county level or city level mm. from passing noise ordinances. And uh, I think that thus like the right to mine is not, should not 
supersede the right to a peaceful life, you know, a, a yeah. healthy life because noises, excess noise is detrimental to your health mm. and can raise your blood pressure and anxiety and have all these additional effects. So yeah, I'm yeah. not, I don't, I don't support passing laws that hamper another individual's right to decide whether they want to experience that. So that does that. Mm. It concerns me. Yeah, well, this is a really good conversation too because I think there's there's two extremes, right? It's kind of the extreme anti-Bitcoin and there's the extreme, maybe folks feel like they have to protect Bitcoin at all costs or only talk about it positively when, you know, what we're talking about is not Bitcoin, the open source protocol. We're talking about the Bitcoin mining company or, or you know, whatever. Um, it, it's okay. Like Bitcoin can take it. We need to have these conversations uh, at like a human and community level. Um, Bitcoiners talk a lot about like community and, you know, better way of life and all of these things. Well, these are important conversations to keep in mind. And these are the types of conversations I hope we'll be having more and more once we get to a place in this nation globally where people accept Bitcoin is here. Okay, now that it's here, what is the best way we can use this as a tool for humanity, for our planet, for these things, right? We're still not there yet. And, you know, we're still getting there. Some people are. But, but many aren't. But I look forward to getting to that place so we can have these conversations rather than people saying, well, no, don't talk about that because then they'll just want to ban Bitcoin, right? It's like, no, we have to talk about these things. Like this is yeah. important to do. Yeah, it's yeah. important to have these conversations because I think also if we can have these conversations, then it says that we're willing to work to try to keep Bitcoin around too because yeah. you're either you're taking a stance of absolutely no Bitcoin or absolutely Bitcoin, and neither of and these screw are, everything else. Yeah, none yeah. of these are going to meet in the middle. So you have to mm -hmm. have a position that meets in the middle. That's like, yeah, okay, let's see how can we make it better. How can we yeah. make this industry better so that you don't feel so threatened by it that you want to get rid of it? And right. I and I, I and that's kind of was my original motivation when I started speaking on Twitter Spaces in 2021, mm -hmm. and was just saying, you know it's probably a good idea to just accept that you need to deal with climate change. Climate change is real. And how can Bitcoin mining play a role in making that happen? You know, making yeah. climate change less of a problem or being part of the solution. How can Bitcoin be part of the solution? And that was, those are some of the earliest things that I was saying in these Twitter spaces, aside from fighting with anarcho-capitalists, <laughs> but you right. know, that, I remember saying stuff like that and actually getting responses like, yeah, you're right. You know, this mm -hmm. is a good policy position. And yeah, and I think that that's a really important narrative shift in a way that that I thought that we could meet people where they're at and say yes. And yes, we agree. Climate change is bad. We need solutions. We need to reduce emissions. And here's how Bitcoin is working to make this ha yeah. happen. And now, and that was in 2021. And now, fast forward 2023, we're getting papers that are like, yeah, Bitcoin could be good for the environment, yeah. could be good for renewable energy, like the Cornell paper. So, yeah. Yeah. So and now, really, we, yeah, we have to do uh, this. I'm sorry, go ahead. Thing. Oh, no, I'm just saying, like, we just, we have to do the same thing with these other things. Like, yes, yeah. you're right noise is a problem and here's how we're going to solve it here's how yeah. we as an industry are going to come up with rules 
that will ensure that you know that new facilities we will keep their sound levels at this range within this range mm-hmm. <coughs> or we're going to push within the industry for adoption of this type of cooling system that will not use fans at that that make that much noise you know i think yeah. these are the, the actual solutions rather than passing laws that tie people's hands and doesn't let them take action uh it, against a bitcoin miner so yeah that's that's all all i think is always going to be the solution for for bitcoin on the policy and community level yeah completely and i think that's just going to aid it in 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 being here <laughs> in in continuing to win is um having those conversations yeah yeah um i i wanted to i want to go back to it because i wanted to make sure to to talk to you about this too before we wrap up but you were talking about like Bitcoin will not go away, like Bitcoin being used by people who need to use it. And I want to mention, because we haven't, I, I've shared it online. I've talked with friends offline about it as well, but haven't shared on the podcast yet talking about Yousef's Geyser Fund for Palestine. And I think for people to hear about this, I've told a lot of people about this. A lot of Bitcoiners know about it. I think it's one of the most popular Geyser Fund projects right now. And for those that don't know, Geyser Fund is basically like a GoFundMe um, for w- using Bitcoin, using using Lightning. So we have a, go, a Geyser Fund for the podcast. A lot of different folks use it because it's just a great platform. The people running it are really great. Um, it's censorship resistant for now. You can <laughs> withdraw your your uh, your Bitcoin and your Sats to your own custody and and all of this. So um, I wanted to talk about that with you and just talking to let's let's imagine like just a a normie is listening to this podcast and they don't really know much about Bitcoin. Like why is something like a fundraiser, not even just guy, like geyser is the platform they're using, but Palestinians in the wake of this, this conflict and what's happening to them, uh, utilizing Bitcoin to like fund basic services. And I'm smiling right now because just the thought of that, like that is what Bitcoin is for right in, in my mind like that is what bitcoin is for this this is a horrific conflict and horrific things are happening to two families um and two children and to all of these things but but yusuf in this in this fundraiser i'll actually just uh share my screen as well so for folks watching on youtube at least um if you haven't um i mean i'll share this again with with this episode um but this is what the geyser fund looks like I, I guess yeah, that number there, sixty-six million sats um, can donated you, can you so far. Click on it and and because it'll convert it into USD. Oh, I was going to do yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. I mean, twenty-eight thousand dollars. I was actually going to go to a sats converter, so that's really funny. Um, it's right there. But uh, yeah, that's 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 amazing. I mean, twenty-eight thousand dollars just from people donating. You could see a lot of the donations are anonymous. Um, yeah. There's little like color boxes. Some will say like someone's username from like Noster or something like this, but um, yeah, there's so much I could say on it. But but you know, I hand it over to you, Margo. What what is something like this for someone who's just saying this doesn't know much about Bitcoin? Um, you know, what does this mean to you thinking about about Bitcoin? Well, I've tweeted it out a number of times and have said this is Bitcoin's most important humanitarian campaign, and I yeah. think that's true. I don't think. I mean, on an individual scale and a dissonant scale, Bitcoin has been used in a number of ways, but 
here we're in the middle of a war where innocent people are really cut off from the rest of the world. And we have an opportunity to help them with mutual aid directly. Mm. This is direct action. This is mutual aid. And we're doing it with from with people all over the world. It doesn't matter that your your local currency, Bitcoin is the universal currency. So if you can get Bitcoin, we can get Bitcoin to Yusuf. And then Yusuf goes and finds people who hold Bitcoin uh, and have shekels and or and want to take Bitcoin in exchange. And there's money exchangers in Gaza still. You know, these are, I think he's just going peer to peer, honestly. Mm-hmm. And this is fundamentally the way that Bitcoin was designed to work, peer to peer. He's not going through a central exchange. He's not even going through a decentralized exchange like BISC. He's literally going person to person. And we're mm-hmm. able to do that with Geyser. I think that's phenomenal. It's fantastic. And it's not something that we could have easily done any other way. We would have had to have gone through an NGO, which exists and who are, you know, NGOs have been raising money, but we don't know how that funding is being distributed or if it's even getting into Gaza because, I mean, we definitely know that, for example, UN trucks are having a really hard time getting into Gaza to bring essential resources. And here we can give money directly and empower Yusuf directly to go out and buy the products that are out there because even if the stuff is imported, it still costs money. Mm-hmm. It's not being given to them for free necessarily, right? These, yeah. He had to pay for a cow. They literally bought a cow, mm-hmm. butchered it on the spot, and he distributed the meat to families who have literally been living off of a piece of bread a day. Yeah. Or an orange. I mean, I've seen somebody on Instagram said like, this was my breakfast. It was, mm-hmm. And it's, you know, had like some fuzzy whiteness on it. And she was just like, this is all I can do. And, and I mean, that's the, that's the reality. And, in but it's still, things still cost money and, and prices are inflated because demand is high and there's not a lot of supply. And, and you know, the economics still work the same in a war zone. So the fact that he can get money and be able to buy things and distribute it like water, food, diapers, clothing for children. I mean, this is this is truly, I think, what Bitcoin was designed to do. It's getting through to people who need it. It's going around financial barriers mm-hmm. and it works so, so long as he can get internet reception even though it's really spotty he can just find a location mm-hmm. somewhere in gaza where he can finally get that internet reception and move that bitcoin yeah and i think i mean what is more powerful than that what is what is a better example of bitcoin's purpose than than this humanitarian campaign in gaza right now and it and i think you know, regardless of your political views on on Hamas or Israel, Netanyahu, you know, I think that we can all see that there are people who are suffering needlessly in a war at, that they are not responsible for. Mm-hmm. These people are not Hamas. These children who have been killed and murdered uh, by the bombing, you know, they're not responsible for this. And here's this guy who's not responsible for 
for Hamas. She's not responsible for this war. Just trying to do a good thing in a very, very difficult situation, one that none of us could even imagine living through. And let alone, you know, for a day or let alone for 60 plus days where, you, you know, there's no hospital, like, um, like yeah. you know, the hospital system has, the healthcare system has collapsed, you know, your, your home has been turned to rubble, people are dying every day. I mean, it's just so horrific, horrific. There's diseases, infectious diseases spreading now. I mean, it's, it's a horrible situation. And we have to remember that these are human beings. They're just like us. They have hopes and dreams. They want to live their life in peace, just like us. And these are all fun, the fundamental things that people want, I think. And, and we should keep that in mind that there, there are humans on the other side and, and that we can do something good. And Bitcoin is truly doing something powerful here. So I really hope that your viewers, Trey, will also consider, consider sending some of their Satoshis to Yusuf's campaign because it really is. An, an exemplary model for what Bitcoin is truly capable of doing. It's not the speculation. It's not the ETFs. Honestly, it's not the Bitcoin miners and, you know, what they're doing, whether they're balancing the grid or not, whether they're using fossil fuels or not. You know, all that is secondary to the social value of Bitcoin. And this is a prime, prime example of the best of Bitcoin's social value. Yeah, I com completely agree. And I hope people just play that on repeat in terms of like, you know, number one thing that brought me into Bitcoin was like human rights stuff. Um, and there is nothing compared to it. Um, there, there really isn't. Like you talked about the NGO stuff. Um, what's complicated in this, and the NGOs serve a, a really important purpose in, in so many conflicts, like the history of the United Nations NGO or their NGO services and things like that. Are really good and valuable. I'm not saying those things should go away yeah. like overnight or anything, but what happens is, you know, these different uh, roadblocks that come up like metaphorically and physically, and you have nation states that have to talk about when do we let NGOs in and when do we not? Like those are, those are barriers to access, right? And a lot of times the NGOs are just, they might be headed in and then there's a barricade of military officials saying you can't go in, right? So then that yeah. is cut off, but, but Bitcoin is borderless like in, in every sense of the word, right? So I don't want to overstate. I think there's some places where Bitcoin is, it is literally capable in terms of the network, but there's not a buyer or there's not a trader or there's not a particular market. But these are some of the first places where this is going to play out, where they're going to figure it out because where there's a will, there's a way. And right now people are like, we're starving. What are the ways to figure this out and get aid? Um, so a lot of these places, you talk about the global South, Palestine, Lebanon, there's so many other places where they were some of the earliest adopters of using Bitcoin in peer-to-peer -peer ways that most Americans, like, we don't need it, right? Like, like we, don't, we don't need it in that way. We have PayPal, Venmo, whatever. Um, these folks need it. And in some situations, I don't have specific data, but in some situations, it's like the difference between whether a family like eats that week or not <laughs> in terms of like $28,000, like Yusuf and Yusuf's posting updates on on. Twitter and other platforms, just like photos of handing out grocery bags and food and things like this. Like you're seeing food disbursements from this fundraiser. Um, it, it's really brilliant. So definitely would echo that, encourage people to check out the Geyser Fund. Um, 
learn how to send sats. If you don't know, this is a good first way to do it. Um, you know, there's Cash App, there's Strike. I'll be sure to add some other resources too from just ways that you can actually send Bitcoin if you've never done that before. Um, learn how to do it with this geyser fund. That would be really fun and, and a really cool way to be like, that was my first Satoshi sent was for like a, a fundraiser to help feed families uh, even when like UN trucks can't get in. Like that's pretty yeah. powerful. That, that, that's, I think that's dangerous to authoritarian regimes, which people have known for a while. It's so powerful for like everyday people. Like it's, it's absolutely incredible. Um, so I'm, I'm glad we, we touched on that as well. And, you know, fortunately, unfortunately, I'm glad it exists. Like it shouldn't <laughs> need to, but I'm glad these things exist. Um, and the folks at Geyser have just been doing such a great job of like, like Bitcoin's going to be uh, donated and supported and sats used regardless of whether Geyser Fund is there or not. It's like a, a company and a platform. They've done such a good job of connecting like, us Westerners to projects like this, right? Like people like to, you know, people in the West, they think it comes from a good place, right? Like crises happens. And then a lot of people in the West are like, I want to donate. I want to support. What about, what do I do? You know, celebrities post links to donate to this and that. It'll be really interesting to see one day celebrities posting like geyser fun links <laughs> for, for people. Um, you know, it's not as easy to, you, you can't shut down like a Bitcoin address in the same way <laughs> as you can like a GoFundMe project, right? If someone wanted to yep. to go after it in different ways, like if Geyser Fund stopped working tomorrow, Yousef could still take Bitcoin donations um, and get the word right. out in peer-to-peer -peer ways, which is incredible. Yep, yep. I mean, and I think he also has a wallet of Satoshi address as well. Yep. So there's multiple ways that you can send him Bitcoin. It's, it's yeah, it's powerful. It's yep. really powerful. You don't need the third party like geyser but it helps yeah so it's cool that it's there and i mean you know talking about venmo really quick i was able to raise money within my own network and i i told them well it's bitcoin but you don't have to have bitcoin just send me dollars i'll that's buy the bitcoin true. and i'll yeah. send it mm -hmm. and that's what i did and i just took screenshots and sent it to them you know, just yeah. so they could see that all the transactions oh, happened, and that's such a common sense. That's a cool that way I to do it. I made the donation for them, and yeah. and yeah, I mean, it's one way to do it. Like for people who don't really know anything about Bitcoin, but still care about mm -hmm. supporting this campaign, you yeah. just need one person who yeah. is trusted in your network to give them the 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 dollars or whatever, and then have them go buy the Bitcoin and send it. Yeah, so that worked. I was able to do that. I was really happy that I could do that. You know, yeah, it's, that's it's awesome. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. Well, that's a really good, it, I mean, it, it's times of crisis, but these hopeful messages of what Bitcoin's actually doing that I'm like, this, this is what Bitcoin's here for. And I've had a couple of friends that um, I've talked to and they, they've just heard a couple of these human rights stories. Like I've mentioned like Farida's story in Togo and then this story in Palestine. There's other stories of Afghanistan women, like so many, so many couple of stories and it makes people be like, oh, cool. Like, like I, I've had some friends be like, oh, sweet. Why are they trying to like, why don't they like Bitcoin then? Like, like it, it's kind of like once you hear some of these things, you're like, regardless of what else Bitcoin can or can't do, that alone is isn't that pretty worth it you know isn't that pretty pretty worth it so i think it's just you know i i try not to underestimate how many folks need to just continue hearing these stories that don't don't know about it and just talking about that a lot more for for western audiences or, or all audiences to say this is this is why bitcoin like yeah sure 
number go up, whatever. But like, this is, this is why Bitcoin, this is the reason we're here. Yeah. And, and also like, yeah, great environmental, but this is the most important thing. Yeah. At least for me, which, you know, it's, maybe it's unexpected, but really the most important thing about Bitcoin to me is its social value. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, we, we have to work to make sure Bitcoin also does good things. These second order effects are really cool within renewables and landfill mining and whatever. But, you know, in an emergency, the most important thing is to help people and to empower them. And the other stuff is not as important. So I, yeah. I like to keep that in mind and and make sure that the social value is, that we really understand that is truly what matters the most about Bitcoin. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, Margo, you gave me so much to think about always. Um, <laughs> thank you for doing this. Thank you for coming out of your research cave to, <laughs> uh, <you>. to, to <laughs> do this. Um, I think a lot of people really enjoy this conversation. Is there anything else you want to fill people in on or, you know, send them to in terms of different resources? Like I know you're, you know, you've got your, your X channels and all of that. We'll, we'll include that um, stuff, but anywhere else you'd like to send people to? Uh, not right now. Everything that I'm working on is behind schedule. <laughs> so hopefully in the coming months, we'll start seeing more things published with my name on it awesome. and, and getting out there. Um, I'll be I'll be in Madeira in March at that conference. Oh, cool! The Atlantic. Wait, Atlantis yeah, Atlantis. One? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah. Cool. So I'll be there, and uh, I think I'll be at other conferences. I mean, April BPI is having its policy summit, second annual yep. policy summit. You think in July is the Nashville? Bitcoin conference. So no more Bitcoin Miami. It's Bitcoin Nashville. Next yep, year. yep. So I have some conferences lined up, at least tentatively. And so, you know, see, say hi to me if you're at those conferences. Cool. But yeah, Twitter is always the best way to find me, as always, Jen or so. Yeah. I'm still waiting for your Noster Renaissance. Maybe when you like have <sighs> some downtime. I know. I'm on No, it, it's but... hard. It's uh, like there's so many different things to use. You got to think about like, different audiences, so many things. Um, but I have, I've like not even been that much on Twitter either. So I've been so yeah. busy and trying to focus on that. And as much as engagement is great for number go up on followers, <laughs> it's like, it's not, it's not really great for some other things. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I don't know how Troy manages it, but he's, he's very either. good at balancing that with all yeah. his work. And it, I don't know think it takes me a lot longer to come up with something as as he does to say on Twitter. So I just, I just, you know, step back. Right. But yeah, I, I need to refocus on that master. I'm on there though, somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, you do. You have a, an NPUB. Yeah. I do have an NPUB. You can ask me for it on Twitter and I can send (laughs) it to you. Cool. All right, Margo, thank you so much for this conversation. Um, Good luck and we'll, we'll chat again soon. Thanks. Thanks for having me. It's always great to be on your show. 